please open your Bibles to Psalm 16, which you can find on page 453 in the Pew Bible. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion, and my cup, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, good morning. Uh, it is both a sincere privilege and a joy uh, to get to be here with you all today at Parkside Westside and to open up God's Word with you. Uh, as Nate mentioned, uh, my name is Matt Ross, and I serve as one of the pastors over at Parkside Bainbridge, and it is truly a delight uh, to get to visit with you here this morning on the West Side. Uh, I have to admit, this is my first time inside of the building, and uh, confession time here. This is a beautiful facility, uh, but more importantly, you are a beautiful church. And uh, as we think about you all over at Bainbridge, as we pray for you all over there, it is truly um, just remarkable to look around this room and see the, the evidences of God's kindness and grace represented here. And so, uh, before we dive into the word, I'd love to just bow and to thank God for his work among you and to ask for his help as we seek to understand his word and to apply it. So if you would, uh, pray with me. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, your word is life, and by it we are led into life. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And whether we find ourselves in Bainbridge, whether a church is gathered here on the west side or in another part of the world, Lord, it's your truth that we are led in, and by it we are made new. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the church here, for, uh, for Matt, for Nate, for Jeff, uh, for all who uh, lead this church, and, um, and for the many, many ways that you have poured out your blessing upon this people. And this morning, I pray that your word would shape us, that it would refresh and revive us, Pray that the Holy Spirit would come and cause your word to fall with power so that we would be transformed by the gospel that it reveals. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, one of the clearest and one of the most evident realities when we look both into the Bible and really when we consider our own lives is the reality of life's troubles. 
A trouble, one author has said, seems to invade every nook and every cranny of our human existence. Each and every day, troubles and hardships of different degrees bombard us, and they have a way of forming this wearying mosaic of suffering. I think it's safe for me to assume, without knowing most of you in this room, that there are troubles that plague your life today. Troubles, difficulties, disappointments characterize our lives in all sorts of ways. We experience the little daily disappointments, the items on our to-do list that we want to check off, only continue to, to build up. Your car's tires have worn down and you know that you don't have the money uh, to pay for new ones. Maybe you're a new parent and your baby is crying at 3 a.m. and your sleep has been interrupted for the third night in a row. Those are the little difficulties, but, but then there are the life-altering troubles. Uh, your organization, your company is downsizing and you find that you're now out of a job. A chronic pain has hampered your mobility. A friend of yours has just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Uh, your daughter, who you sought to uh, instill the Christian faith into, has walked away from the faith. And the question that I want to ask us as we turn to the Bible is what is it that carries you and I through life amidst these troubles? Where can we look to for true and lasting security, enduring happiness, when even our best moments of, of gladness in life seem to just slip away? I want to submit to you that when life's troubles threaten to erode our confidence, our joy in God, that we would learn to sing what David sings in this psalm and to pray what David prays in Psalm 16. This most glorious psalm and mictum of David that we're considering together this morning teaches us that everlasting joy and unshakable security in life can only be found when we set our minds fully upon the Lord. It's when we fix our eyes upon him, fixing our hearts in the truth of who he is, that we can walk through life's troubles and we can say with, with David, I shall not be shaken. Oh, there are many things that can shake us in life, aren't there? And there were many things that would have shaken David in his own life. Remember David with me, the, the shepherd boy. Uh, the youngest son of Jesse, the one who fought against that Philistine giant, Goliath, uh, the one whose life was threatened by King Saul and who was conspired against by his own son, Absalom. Remember David, the greatest king in Israel, who had sinned heinously against Bathsheba and her husband, Uriah. David was a man who is larger than life in our consideration of the Old Testament, and yet, when we focus in upon his life, we see that he was a deeply flawed man, a sinful man, a man who we see in this psalm feared the future, a man who feared death and dying, a man who feared that God would abandon him. A trouble, we could say, seemed to follow David all throughout his life. 
And it's with some of those troubles in mind, I'm not quite sure what exactly the particular troubles were in this psalm, but I think it's with some of those troubles in mind that David pens what he pens here in Psalm chapter 16. He writes this poetic song and prayer where he pours out his heart and he confesses his confident trust in God alone. If you're using the English Standard Version like I am, you'll see just before verse 1 in the description of the psalm that this is a mictum of David. I'm not sure many of you have used the word mictum in this past week, but, but many scholars believe that a mictum is a liturgical term. And it tells us that this is a song of David, it's a song of Israel, and what we'll come to see in our study is that this is also the song of Jesus and the song of all of those who would put their trust in him. David begins this psalm by crying out to God in prayer. And he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. What we need to pick up from these first few verses is the truth that you and I must seek refuge in the Lord and in his people. Seek refuge in the Lord and in his people. The prayer begins with a plea that God would preserve David. It's a cry where David is essentially saying, keep me, O God, guard me, protect me, do not let me fall away from you. The word preserve there is the same Hebrew word that is used in Psalm 121 in verses 7 and 8 where the psalmist says that the Lord will keep your life. Uh, to preserve is to, to keep, and, and he says that he will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. One of the things that I love about the Psalms, among many things, is their clear honesty when it comes to the struggles of life and the ways in which we see the psalmist wrestle with God time and time again in prayer. This introduction to David's prayer is raw. It's honest about life. And this is a crying out to God for protection and it informs us that sometimes the most appropriate prayers that we can pray are the prayers where we don't have all the words that we could possibly say aligned with great precision and thought. The times where we just go to the Lord and we say, God, help me. God, keep me. God, sustain me. I do not have strength here. You must preserve me. I take refuge in you. David is praying here as a desperate man. And he's discovered the truth that you and I have to learn time and time again that we never truly realize that God is all we need until we come to that place where we discover that God is all we have. David runs to God seeking safety, not in what God can provide for him, but in who his God is for him. He is my refuge. He is the one in whom I find safety and security. I, I run to this God. The introduction to this prayer is a picture of trusting in God. 
Amidst all of the uncertainties of life that David was facing, there is this acknowledgement that instead of choosing to live by what he can physically see or what he internally feels, he is going to choose to live by who his God is and what his God has said. Jerry Bridges once defined trusting God not as a passive state, but as a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold of the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. David was in overwhelming circumstances and yet he is clinging to God. He is vigorously fighting the fight of faith to trust in God. And he says to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Out of all of the things that we could look at David's life and we could say, this is good. Whether it be his tremendous wealth or his status as the great king of Israel or even his health, none of those good things compared with this highest good in his life. Namely, that I know the God of all creation. The God of the universe knows me and I know him. Nothing compares to the sweetness of knowing God. God is the greatest treasure. God is the ultimate good. God is the source, as the hymn writer says, of all things bright and beautiful. David sought refuge in the Lord and he found delight in those who know the Lord. The saints, the excellent ones that David mentions in verse 3, they are the, the holy ones, the people who know God and walk in his ways. And the truth that we see here is that when our hearts have been changed by the grace of God in Jesus, what it does is it produces in us this love and affection, yes, for God himself, but, but it begins to bend itself out and we, we love the people that God has uh, plucked up by his mercy. We, we have an affection, a love for the people of God. As you think about one another here at the West Side, you should hold one another in such high esteem, high regard, that when you think about one another here, you say, those people in my church family, they are some of the dearest people, some of the dearest Christians that I know. I treasure not only the the fellowship that I have with the Lord Jesus, but the fellowship that I have amongst the saints. You see, when we come to know God, we begin to delight in those who know God. But notice with me the, the juxtaposition here between these people who are lovers of God in verse three and those who run after other gods in verse four. David says that the sorrows of those who run after another little G God shall multiply. Their drink offering of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. You see, there was no refuge in the pagan deities of David's day, regardless of how appealing or, or popular they were to the nations around him. And brothers and sisters, there is no refuge to be found in any God we might construct for ourselves today. You and I, we might not be tempted to worship the Baals and the Asheroths of David's day, but, but listen, if you make your highest good in life your money, 
The promise of this psalm is that it will ultimately lead you into great sorrow. If you make your highest good in life, the thing that your soul delights in, a romantic partner or or your children, your family, the promise of this psalm is that it will ultimately leave you empty. If you make your highest good in your life, your reputation or what other people think about you, it will ultimately come crashing down in the end. The Lord is the only refuge that will stand amidst life's troubles. He is the only one who provides true security. And not only do we need to seek him as our refuge, but David tells us in verses five through eight that we must set the Lord always before ourselves. We must remind ourselves constantly of all that God is for us. David says here in verse five, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. You know, it's a good and right thing for us to take stock in the things that we set before ourselves day by day. Ask ourselves the question, what is it that I am putting before my eyes, that I am cultivating in my mind and in my heart? When you wake up in the middle of the night or when you get out of bed in the morning before your feet have even touched the ground, what is it that you have given your mind and your heart to? If you're anything like me, you shamefully have to confess that what is at your right hand is, is typically a cell phone. Uh, we look to our phones. We look at the world's problems. We look at our agendas. We, we think about what is the greatest trial in our life, in our pain, in our past. We look at the daily news feed of what is troubling in the world, and for far too many of us, even as Christians, what we set before ourselves is not the truth of God's word, but so often it becomes what's troubling me in my life. What leaves me undone is the plaguing problems in my life. Instead of laying before myself the unshakable reality of Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, what so often I can give my heart and my mind to are things like the numbing effects of social media, are things like cheap entertainment that I can scroll through on my television. I love the way that George Mueller once said it when he wrote that the first great and primary business of the Christian to which we ought to attend to every day is to have our soul happy in God. The first thing to be concerned about in our lives is not how we might serve God or how we might glorify God, but how we might get our soul into a happy state. You see, the the primary business that we must attend to each and every day is, is delighting our souls in God, setting him before us each and every day. It is this cultivation of an awareness of God. 
that we live our lives before him. And we must remind ourselves because we are forgetful people constantly of his character, his attributes, who he is, what he has done, and we soak him into our souls just like you would take a sponge and, and immerse it into the water. Bring up that sponge and it is drenched in water. And so we want our souls drenched in all that our God is for us. David here in verses five through eight, he is rehearsing to himself uh, the character of God. I doubt that these are new things, new truths to David, but these are truths that he desperately needed to hear again and again and again. In order for his problems to lessen, to become lesser in light of the truth of who his God is, how great, how marvelous, how wonderful, how big his God is, David says, God is my portion. Meaning regardless of how wealthy I may be in my life, God is my great wealth. God is my great blessing. God is my cup, meaning he is my ultimate satisfaction. Doesn't come in possessions, doesn't come in, in worldly satisfaction, it is in God. David's lot in life, the, the lines that marked out what God had given to him is both pleasant and beautiful. This is God's grace that is undeserved and yet has been freely given. Now at first glance in considering this, this text, you might think to yourself, well this must be a reference to the divided portions of the land in Israel. David must be referring to the physical boundary markers that are set between the tribes of Israel. But I want you to see that David here is using the language of the priestly line of Aaron. The Lord spoke to Aaron in Numbers chapter 18 and verse 20, saying, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them, but I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. So see what David is doing here. He's saying, this, this isn't about material possessions. This isn't about physical land. But the greatest treasure, the greatest gift God has ever given to me is the gift of himself. He is the fountain of all goodness. He is the greatest of all delights. The glorious one is mine. You know, the, the most important thing in your life if you are a Christian here today, is not the car that you drive. It is not the house that you live in. It is not how much money you have in your bank account. The most important thing and the truest thing about you is that regardless of your circumstances, because you have found refuge in the Lord Jesus, you can say, oh, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. He has given me so much more than what I could ever deserve. I have a beautiful inheritance and one day I will see him as he is and I will be made like him. Oh. One commentator has said of this that to gain him is to gain the one who made and controls all things. He is the inventor of every pleasure, the insurer of all security. He is the definer of right and wrong and the rewarder of those who seek him. 
To lose him, even if you gain the whole world in exchange, would be to lose everything. When David wrote these words, God was, was everything to him. He is my portion. He is my cup. He is my lot. He is my inheritance. And not only that, but David says in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and the night also my heart instructs me. Yahweh, the Lord, was the one David sought for counsel and guidance in his trouble. In the middle of the night when his mind wandered, when his heart was restless, the one he turned to was, was the great counselor, the one who would instruct him and cause him to be unshaken in life. And in the same way for you and I, when we are troubled in the middle of the night, when, when our world is undone, when we are restless and anxious in our hearts, what we ought to turn to is not people or things or media, but, but you turn to the Lord as your counselor. He is a present help, and therefore with him can you say, in this shaky world, I shall not be shaken. David sought the Lord as his refuge. He set the Lord always before himself. And thirdly and finally, what we can learn from this psalm in verses 9 through 11 is that we must hold to our future hope where there are pleasures forevermore. Uh, David here says, in light of the truth of verses 1 through 8, that now, therefore, in verse 9, my heart is is glad. He began with his problems, but as he rehearsed the truth of God, he has, he has uh, preached himself into this state of gladness. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, David could walk through his life with gladness in his heart, not because he knew how his future is going to play out, not because he knew that everything he touched in life would succeed, not because God promised him that he would never suffer or die. Certainly we know in David's life he, he would. But David could rest glad and content in his life because come whatever may, the Lord was at his right hand as his refuge, his portion, his guide, his all in all. It's interesting, in the original language, the phrase, my flesh also dwells secure, it's also been rendered that my flesh shall rest in hope. Hope. Typically, we don't talk about hope in the same ways that we talk about security, do we? Security typically means something that is guaranteed, it is certain, it is fixed. But hope, on the other hand, implies a desired expectation. We talk about hope in the 21st century in many ways that we speak about a wish. We say, I wish you well. I, I hope you're doing well. I, I'm hoping for that promotion. I wish there was a cure. But biblical hope, 
The kind of hope that David is describing here is far, far different than a wish. The kind of hope and security that David is describing here is a confident assurance in the rock-solid security of who God is and what he has promised to do and to be for his people. He says, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol being that, that place of utter darkness and death. When it seems as if all hope is lost, the Lord will not leave me there. I have hope even in the face of death. I know security in the fortress that is my God even in the place of Sheol. Now you ask yourself, how could David say such a thing? How could anybody say such a thing? Is there any kind of security like that that we could look to it both in life and in death? Well, if you're somebody who likes to underline and highlight in your Bible, I do, I have a blue pen when I read through my Bible, I, I, I underline it in blue. But if you like to highlight, go ahead and draw your attention to verse 10. It's one you, you want to see every time you look at Psalm 16. David says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. David here is looking in, in two different directions. He is looking backward on the covenant promise that God has made to him, and he's looking to the future in the fulfillment of that promise in a seed that is going to come from his own line. He's looking back on the covenant that God has made with him in 2 Samuel 7, where the Lord said, when your days are fulfilled and you go to lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. David, as great as a king as you are for these 40 years, it will come to an end, but there is coming a son of David whose kingdom will endure forever, and David is looking into the future to that son of David who is still yet to come. David could not see all that you and I can see, but, but if you turn with me into the New Testament... Turn with me to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2. We'll see the ways that the apostles interpreted this verse. Peter references these verses from Psalm 16 in the sermon that he preaches on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit comes down and empowers the church. He preaches and 3,000 souls are saved on this day and he says... Beginning at Acts 2 and verse 25, for David says concerning him, him, Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn of his descendants on his throne, take note of this next phrase, David foresaw and he spoke 
about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. You see, Psalm 16 wasn't just the song of King David, but it is also the song of King Jesus. This is an Easter psalm. This is a resurrection psalm. David foresaw and he looked forward in these verses to a greater son of David, the Lord Jesus. And although David would die and decay in the tomb, and although you and I may know death and decay in the tomb, King Jesus, the Holy One, would not be left in the grave. And because he lives, so David can say, my flesh dwells secure. And if you are in the refuge who is in Jesus, you can say, my flesh dwells secure. I rest in hope. Jesus died the sinner's death at Calvary's cross and he was buried in the grave. But he rose triumphantly on the third day so that by him we could know the forgiveness of our sins and the fullness of joy that life in him brings if we have trusted in him by faith alone. Friends, if you want to know unshakable security in your life, if you want to know everlasting joy in this troubled life, do not look for it in the pursuit of, of money or in worldly pleasures or in status. And don't look for it in circumstances or deep down within yourself. And do not run after other gods, but run and find refuge in the Lord Jesus. The security and the pleasure that you long for will never be found in what God can give to you but in who God in Jesus is for you. That's why Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, I came into this world that they would have life, and not just life, but that they would know it abundantly. Oh, if you're looking for abundant life, if you wanna know the fullness of joy and, and pleasures that are forevermore, then look beyond the fleeting and passing pleasures of this world and let your eyes run beyond them to the Lord Jesus Christ who is resurrected, who is reigning, who is ascended at the right hand of the Father and whom are pleasures forevermore. We look to that future hope even as we have tasted it in part in the here and now. We walk as sojourners, as strangers, as Christians in the path of life even as we face troubles. Even in the face of death, we are kept in joy by the faithful King who is our refuge. We set the Lord Jesus before us, never taking our eyes off of him and because he is at our right hand, we can walk through this troubled life saying, I shall not be shaken.